Talk Recorded live. You know, there are some things that I think I might have missed as I'm going to close this out for the day, but I want to cover out. I want to cover some things that I think I might have missed. Let me kind of do a retrack on what I said earlier about redemption being stolen from cracking the cold, but it was more so I I don't want to to make it seem like I mean literally stealing it. I'm, I really mean more so influenced by it, influenced by cracking the code. And I just want to make that clear because you know, I don't want there to be any misconception about that. And... I was talking earlier about my contribution to our people, and I'm not one to often talk about myself. I'm not here to exalt myself or do any of those things. I'm just trying to be a good brother and walk a righteous path and do all I can to stay in favor with the Most High Almighty, the Creator of all. But listen, back in 2003, I started doing underground DVD documentaries. And the first one I released was just in Detroit on the streets of Detroit called The Missing Link. And when I would do these projects from that point on, even with that one, I would go into a period of study, research, meditation, and seclusion for a minimum of 90 days. And I would spiritually throw myself into these projects so the first one was released on the streets of Detroit, Missing Link 2003. And I had gotten together some of the people around me in somewhat of a research team, and they didn't even realize that that's what I was doing. So they really didn't know that they were operating as a research team for me on this project. but. I named us the TOTMH Historical Research Team. TOTMH standing for Temple of the Most High. And this was in 2003, 2002, 2003. So what I did was the people that were around me, some of them were my close friends, some of, were, of them were just acquaintances. And I was listening to the people around me say different things, and this is what made it come into my mind to do this. I kept hearing them say different things that would spark my interest. So what I would do is I would, I would ask them, do you have any information on that that you're just talking about? Can you share some other stuff with me um, that you were talking about? 
can you do a little more research? Because I'm working on the project, and I would like to include some of the stuff you were talking about. So what happened is those around me would bring the information, and I began to realize that they didn't really always understand the things that they were bringing. And I would throw myself into a deeper spiritual experience to try to get a deeper comprehension of what it was that I was receiving and what I was being led to accomplish. So I had so much information from the first DVD release that I decided to do a second one, and then I decided to do a series, a Missing Link series, of which I'm going to resurrect that same series uh, here again very soon. but. The second installation of the series was called The Missing Link, The Matrix Unplugged. Now, I'm saying this because as I was talking to the brother, Alan Baker Bramwell, he says, and I bring up the point of him saying that I stole this from the Message to the Straw Man DVD from the Redemption 4.5 manual. And he says, well, this was released and this Redemption manual 4.5 was released in 2010. So how is it possible that you didn't take this from that manual? And I said, because I released it in 2006, and then people caught on to it from there. Now, I did a TV show back in 2007 locally in Detroit called The Matrix Unplugged. After I released the DVD via Google Video in 2006, Google Video uh, shut down once Google acquired YouTube, which was later, a couple of years after that. But when I released the missing link, the Matrix Unplugged, I placed it on Google Video for free. It was available for download, and I'm sure you can probably still do a search on it, and you'll still see different clips and stuff out there from it. But I released it on Google Video first. And I did not realize this until a sister that I was dealing with came to me about a month later talking about there's people out there that are selling your DVD movie. And I'm like, what are you talking about? She's like, I went to these couple of different stores. I saw it sitting there. I'm like, what? <laughs> She's like, yeah, if they're releasing it and making money off of it, you should too. So I went and checked the stats on the Google video because back then you could log into the Google video and it would tell you how many downloads and how many days and weeks and what have you. And in about four weeks, 
that video had a million views. And I've told this before, but there was the originators of this zeitgeist. They wrote a comment under that video that I put on Google Video for free that they were inspired to do some stuff based off of watching that missing link, the Matrix Unplugged. I don't know if it was really them. It could have been anybody for all I know, but they said in the comment that they were the makers of that and that they were inspired by watching that video. So I have no way to actually verify, and they don't even have Google Video anymore, but I'm just telling you what was there then. So that was in 2006. Now, after I released that video, and after this sister told me that people were selling it, then I started going around to the different cultural bookstores and events. And everywhere I would go, I kept seeing this video that I had done for sale. <laughs> so I decided to release an official two-DVD version of it for donations. And back then, MySpace was popular. This is before Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all that. It was all about MySpace back then. And I set up a MySpace page for it. And, excuse me, <coughs> and that video, as I went online, I started seeing it popping up in, in, in a couple of different black DVD uh, online stores. And it, it was getting five-star ratings. And after that, which was in 2006, you began to see an explosion of people being, our people being interested in Moorish history and science, nationality, and said sovereignty. It is not a coincidence that this video, which would have been today considered going viral with a million views, I can't even I can't remember how many downloads, but it was tens of thousands of downloads of it. And the people were downloading it directly from Google Video and making it onto DVDs. So the quality of those that were originally out there weren't the best quality. But most of the people in the country had not heard of Taj Sharik Bey, Ali Muhammad, Queen Valera, and that DVD and the sales of that DVD helped to spark a flourish of interest amongst our people to investigate the individuals they were seeing on the DVD and just this information and background, period. And that was in 2006. One thing I want to say, I've said this before on podcasts, but I want to say it again. One thing that a lot of people overlooked in that DVD, on that DVD, is the fact that I explained the connection between those who are recording the scriptures as Israelites and those 
who are recorded in history as Moors. Now, let me say again how this works so it might be a little clearer for you. The people that are in the scriptures, the scriptures are written up until around the time of 65 A.D. Okay, 64, 65 A.D., in that time period. And the writings stopped around that year. So as there was a war breaking out in that land, you can follow the migration pattern of these people in the scriptures called the Israelites and where they went after losing the war. They fled to the west coast of Africa, particularly to hide from the Romans. And then they were inhabiting Morocco, Mauritania, that on the west coast of Africa and northwest coast of Africa. And they were in Morocco, Mauritania, and while they were in Morocco, that is where they began being known as the Moorish Jews because if you know anything about Israelites, there are 12 tribes in the Israelites as recorded in scriptures, but they were collectively known as Jews. Now, what you have got to comprehend is that what most people think of as Jewish, they think that those are the Jews that the scriptures are talking about, and those are not the same people. I'm not saying that they're not referenced, those people that are Jewish today. They are referenced, yes, they are referenced in the scriptures. But when we're talking about the Jews, the term Jew is short for the tribe, uh, short for Judah, which is one of the tribes, of the 12 tribes, the tribe of Judah. And when the tribe of Judah became the kings, then all the 12 tribes collectively began being known as Jews. So those tribes that were left in that land that fled after the war to the west coast of Africa became known as Moorish Jews. Now, they were of two or two and a half distinctive tribes, which was predominantly Benjamin and Judah and Levi, some scattered Levites. But the point that I'm saying is all the 12 tribes collectively became known as Jews, and when they fled from uh, persecution and from losing this war to the Romans, to the west coast of Africa, it was there that they became known as Moorish Jews. Particularly from there, they moved over into Spain, or at least some of them did. And I cite that in that DVD in 2006 when it was released. I show that, but most people overlooked that. And once I started seeing that most people were overlooking it, I went back into, because most of that DVD came from the studies that I had done in the, for the 2003 release, so I had a whole bunch of things left over from that. And then I had other things left over still from the 2003 release, and I went immediately back and I did a 2007, 2000, well, it was 2007 release it was later in 2007, like towards the end. Passion of the Israelites, America has fallen. That was an, another installment of this Missing Link series. Now, what you saw happen was an explosion of interest in the Moorish um, stuff after 2006, during 2006, and then after that, that's when you saw that explosion of interest. Then following that, when I released The Passion of the Israelites, you saw an explosion of people drawing towards those that were on that DVD and interest in that DVD helped to spark the interest in the various Israelite movements that are on the streets. 
I do not believe that that is a coincidence. Anyhow, my point is that helped spark the interest, and that is where I individually started doing this Matrix Unplugged thing. And I was before others started getting into the Matrix ideas of relating this to sovereign movements and what have you. I just wanted to say that so that it can be understood where I was coming from and where the source was that I was contributing to this and the aftermath and effects of what these things have caused. 2007, well, after I did that DVD, most of the people in, around Detroit, the Missing Link, the Matrix Unplugged, they hadn't heard of Taj Bay or Ali Muhammad. And one particular brother came to me and was like, man, who's that guy in that, on your DVD? With the, the the red hat on. He didn't know to call it a fez, I don't think. But I said, what do you mean, Taj Tariq Bay? He said, yeah, how can I get in contact with him? And I said, well, I'll get the information that I have and I'll give it to you, but, you know, I can't guarantee that you'll be able to contact him. So I went to the source of where I got the videos from to make those um, documentaries. And it was a source that was on the Internet. So I got back with the brother, gave him the information, and he and um, another minister, Malik Shabazz, and myself, helped to bring Taj Tariq Bay to Detroit for the first time, to, to well, the best of my knowledge, to speak and lecture, if you would, in 2007. He came back a couple of different times. I met him personally. I told him who I was, that I had done this um, documentary DVD. And he gave me a warm blessing. And he said, I'm going to send, this is what he said to me. He said, I'm going to send you some more stuff. Have fun. That's what he said to me. And I remember it to this day. That was in 2007. So then a couple of other times, um, the same individual that originally asked me about Taj Tariq Bay and Minister Malik Shabazz, then they went on to bring Ali Muhammad to Detroit. I walked up to Ali Muhammad told him who I was and that I had done that um, documentary movie and right in front of the entire audience. I've said this before on podcasts, but right in front of the ta- entire audience, he said, brother, I've been looking for you. <laughs> and he turned to the audience and said, this man is a genius. Now, I don't know if he will remember that, but that did happen. and. He gave me his information. He gave me his uh, cell phone number, gave me his home number, email address, all of that, right there on the spot. And he greeted me with warmth and love and respect. And he said, I use your, this is what he said to me, I use your DVD to teach in some of my classes. He said that to me standing right there in front of everybody. Now, not a lot of people were paying attention at that time when he said this to me, but it was in front of everybody as he was setting up for his presentation. 
And as that DVD became like a cult classic, it helped to make those individuals popular. So that was in 2007, and then I released the official um, Missing Link, The Matrix Unplugged DVD in 2007, and then I followed right behind it with The Passion of Israelites, America is Fallen. And then soon after that, you saw an explosion of, of attention being paid to Israelites. And then you saw Israelite groups formulating again, coming out again, and hitting the streets again. Because there was a period after 1999 and 2000 that a lot of the camps had fallen out, and there was a lot of breakups, and they started to dwindle down to where wasn't a lot of people doing, keeping up this message of the Israelites any longer. And then after I released that DVD, then there was an explosion of people being interested in Israelites again. I always cite my sources. I was raised to do that. Let me jump on this, because I'm talking about points that I think that I missed, but let me jump on this. Uniform Commercial Code does not establish nationality. Uniform Commercial Code, a UCC-1 filing of a financing statement, does not capture a straw man and make you immune to prosecution. It does not establish nationality. It does none of those things that this sovereign mythology is out there having people believe that. It is used for commercial transactions, negotiable instruments, but it can be used strictly as a public notice, even if it's not a commercial or financing type of um, transaction. It can be used as a public notice. But this false secured party, if you don't even know what a secured party actually is and what they're teaching in this said sovereign world is not what it actually is. They don't really tell you in enough detail, at least back then they didn't. I don't know what they're doing now because I don't keep up with that, but they don't put you in a state of mind to really comprehend it. So let me just say what it actually is. A secured party is one who has a security interest in some type of security agreement or negotiable instrument. And if you are absent of that, you do not have the right or the ability to do a UCC-1 financing statement calling yourself a secured party. Then, wait a minute, how is it that you're creating an L-Bay suffix to the government name and placing it in lowercase, uppercase, lowercase, in, the, in its proper English spelling, and then putting the suffix of L or Bay or what have you on it, And then thinking that that makes it a secured party where there's, well, first you would have to have the L or Bay established as a legal and or lawful entity that you could do business through before you even put it on the secured party line on a uniform commercial code UCC1 financing statement. So if it does not pre-exist by date and time stamp, that financing statement, that entity does not exist at all, period, so it is 
fraud for you to put it on there claiming that this is a secure party. Then it would have to pre-exist the, the, the filing in that financing statement and then actually have a security interest in a security agreement with another party. Don't tell me that you can put the all capital letters government name as the debtor and then put the proper English spelling, uppercase, lowercase, government name as a secured party with L or Bay or otherwise as the suffix. You may believe you can do that, but don't tell me that you can do that when that entity that controls that government name has to have a security agreement with the secured party. And they have to provide a signature, whoever controls it, which we know is the United States of America. And when did they give you a signature on a, on a uh, security agreement that is some flesh and blood living soul, a governor, a mayor, any politician, any representative of the United States of America, a secretary of state? When did they give you their personal signature signing off on behalf of the United States that says that makes that uh, government name a debtor to that secured party? When did they do that? They didn't. So it's fraud, and that's why when people were filing that way, the only thing that saved them from going to prison, ironically, is the fact that a lot of the times they were filing it, the people didn't know what they were doing at first, and then once they consulted the judges, they had meetings on it and consulted the judges and the um, actually what you would call scribes, but they're actually attorneys that write in positive or negative law. Then they realized that these were a lot of these filings were false, so they started rejecting these filings. And they were rejecting them, and they, they were being the people were being told that oh don't pay that no mind you you still have the filing. But then those people would listen to that that were being told that, and they got nervous, so they would go back and try to do it again and again and again and again until they could get it through. And some of them actually ended up getting it through, and then they felt like they had quote unquote captured the straw man and all these other things that are not true. Dealing with the sovereign issue again of being born sovereign. That stuff comes from patriot Caucasians. It was transferred over from patriot Caucasians. Then once Dr. York started um, dabbling in it around 2002-2003, after that time is when it started to leak out to other people amongst our people, and they started to implement it. A lot of them didn't even really know. Well, after 2007, 2008, a lot of the people didn't even know that this came from cracking the code and came from the European Caucasian patriots. They thought it originated with all people that identify themselves as Moors. So they didn't know that. They didn't even know that that's where it came from. But listen, when a child is born, it is helpless. And because it is helpless, a helpless being cannot be a free being. A free being is able to be what a sovereign means. The word sovereign is sovereign. The word reign means rule. So it's the sovereign represents self. So this is self-rule, being able to rule yourself with self-discipline. And part of that includes being able to physically feed yourself, 
physically gather and hunt for your own food, existing and standing on your two feet on the soil, on the land that you possess legally and lawfully, and able to be self-sufficient in that manner. Babies that are newborn cannot do that. As a matter of fact, babies are helpless to the point where if you look at Aleister Crowley, he was molesting newborn babies. They were taking babies, Lord, and they were cutting their throats and bleeding the babies out. And it is alleged by some of those, well, one of those Jewish rabbis that we played on our podcast, I guess it's two years ago now, of him having an interview and explaining how they would uh, take children and bleed them out and cut them up and put them in the McDonald's and fast food. Now, I don't know that firsthand. I'm just telling you what he said that they do. And my point of this is, if a baby cannot defend itself, how can you think that it is born free, sovereign? And the very definition of what a sovereign is, is one that can be self-sufficient, one can take care of oneself, and a baby cannot do that. One that has self-rule, a baby cannot do that. Next issue. I'm just going over a few things that I think that I may have missed. I made a statement about nationality being designed to be removed. Now listen, I, I want to make this clear so that there's no confusion. If you really know what a nationality is, and if you really know how it is created, and if you really know why it's created, then you would know when I'm saying that statement why I said it and that it's true. Now listen, I'm not talking about the bloodline or the blood type of an individual because that cannot be taken away from you. But even in a sense, it can because they can extract your blood. They can put you in the hospital, take all the blood out of your body. So that can even be removed from you. But in essence, to make it simple, what I'm saying is who and what you are genetically biochemically, by bloodline, by blood type, by carbonite, makeup, or that which people call melanin of your being, that part is the part that can't be taken away from you. But that which you identify as by nationality itself is not the same as what you are physically is not the same. It's just it's a the nationality is a representation of those things, but it is not those things specifically. So what I'm saying is if you can separate that in your mind, then it will make sense to you why an actual nationality can be removed from you. And the reasons why it can be removed from you is because it's designed to be an agent in commerce. You got to hear me to, to really understand this. It is designed to be an agent for a body of people that are operating collectively in government and in commerce. And I'm saying it in a way so that hopefully it makes sense 
But even me, with me sharing this with you, a lot of you may not even get it because you've been misled and miseducated and you you can get it confused with who and what you are biochemically, by DNA, by bloodline, blood type. And yes, some of you would try to argue these points, but you, you you're not understanding its operation. I'm not here to argue or debate. I am here to reason with my people and reason with anybody for that matter out of love and respect. You know what? Let me give you something else. Listen, I know someone personally in Detroit living right now in east side Detroit that has never had a birth certificate. Do you hear me? I know him personally. Never had a birth certificate. And guess what? He was in the United States military. Do you hear me? Without a birth certificate. He has identification. Without a birth certificate. I know other people in Detroit. Most of them are over the age of 55 that have never had birth certificates. Some of these people have never had as much as a traffic ticket, never been in court, never been to jail, never been to prison, never even been pulled over by police. I know these people personally, and a couple of them are my blood relatives. So you have to understand what the people think is going on and that which is being taught in this said sovereign movement is off course because these people that I'm telling you don't have birth certificates. And I'm sure if you ask around some of the people that are around you, I'm sure that you'll run into people that are 55 years or older that do not have birth certificates. Anyway, why are they suffering the same condition and status as those who do have birth certificates? It is very difficult to handle the truth. And the truth cuts away to where people cannot handle the truth and they will run from it. The discipline that it takes to walk this path, the commitment to study that it takes, not a lot of people can walk this path. They don't have the patience. And then one of the worst things about our people is this arrogant egotism and vanity. Our people are really a haughty, arrogant people, particularly when they get some information that they think nobody else knows about, and they take it immediately, and they either try to steal it and claim it as their own and cover up the sources from where they got it from, or they allow it to puff them up and make them think that they're above all the people around them, which is why when you're dealing with this stuff, you cannot teach it this way when you're talking about the law of nations, when you're talking about uh, self-determination or any of these other things, if you do not understand fundamentals in natural law, because it creates the very monster in people when they are miseducated and misled about sovereignty, nationality, and all of these other things in matters of law. 
And this is why these groups cannot get along because they don't understand that there's a person, yes, and then there's a natural person. And then you're being taught that are you a natural person? Are you a person? Are you a corporation? You're being taught that stuff as though it's not true and that it, it, as though it doesn't apply to you, but yet all your behavior resembles exactly what it means. Why is the United States a corporation, by the way, you all? Why is it a corporation? Why is it that the United States, that is a corporation, then in turn issues birth certificates and a status to make you into a corporation? Or not you, the flesh and blood self you, but the entity that you're doing business with is a synonymously attached to your fingerprints and your photo, therefore it is attached to you symbolically and legally and lawfully, and therefore you become the very person, the very monster, the very human being, straw man that you're professing that you're not and you don't understand why it's set up that way and you don't understand the real remedy for it and so because we've been so miseducated now we're villainizing these things without a real comprehension of it because if you have a real comprehension of it and you really knew the remedy for it you would see it is not at all difficult and neither was it malicious is it's something that is ancient and it denotes a status. It's something that is 5,000 plus years old. It's not modern. It's not new. It's not invented by the United States. As a matter of fact, it was invented by our people. So, the egos of the people that get bits and pieces of this information inflates them. And then you have those who are so self-righteous. And you have those who are so, they're actually childlike. Let me give you an example. They can be said fully grown adults, 25 years old, 35 years old, 45, 55, whatever. But yet, they don't know how to handle any of their legal or lawful affairs. They don't know how to verify who they are. They don't know how to conduct themselves outside of employment. They don't know how to start their own business and be, quote, unquote, self-employed. They don't know how to deal with conflict. They don't know how to deal with authority figures or protocol. Out of their arrogance, their haughtiness, and their ego, they don't know how to commit themselves to study. Particularly our brothers who are unfortunately so destroyed and so lost, not because of the efforts of some other people, but because of our own foolishness. They really expect you to cater to them in their individual needs, and they want their plight to be the first thing in your life that you solve for them. They want you to pay all attention on them, and they whine like little babies. And they whine, and they whine, I want attention. You're not paying me enough attention. That is a minority. That is a minor. That is a childlike state of mind existence. And you have our people who can't even conduct love relationships and can't even stay together with the, the mother or father of their children to have a lifelong relationship. They don't even operate in one another's lives to both contribute to the raising of our children, and they're out here fornicating, committing adultery, and doing all this other wickedness, 
and you're telling me that these are not people or persons in a state of mind consciousness of a child, people that are said adults that believe in straight out fantasies and myths that can't even reason between reality and fantasy, and you're telling me that that's not a person or that's not a minor? Here's the thing. These terms in law describe the condition of our people. A maximum loss of status in society. Capitalism maximus diminutio, I think that's how you say it. But why? It's the altered state of mind consciousness, mental impairment that is induced within you when you take up the studies of idolatry. And your reasoning ability is destroyed. Here you have people in America, particularly in North America, who model themselves after their children. The scripture says, and so the children will rule over them. Here you have the children who determine the latest fashions, what's good, what's hip, what's cool. And so you have people that are 30, 40, 50 years old who imitate how children dress. 40 years old, turn their hat backwards, and Dr. Francis Crest was talking about why they do this. But they're imitating the children. And you're telling me that when a fully grown adult is following after the uh, whims of children, that that type of people are not persons and minors and minorities? Yes, they are. They are silly, foolish, acting persons. And it's not meant to be malicious. It's meant to determine those who are civilized from those who are uncivilized. And it's meant to be put in a place so that you can grow out of it into civility. And these are things that are not being taught by, I said, sovereign nationality. Madness. Hopefully this makes sense. 